We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Real Life Radio is brought to you by Cloud Roofing and River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people find the real life they were created for. Today we start a new series called Recapturing Your Passion for Real Life. So get ready because Pastor Sean is fired up and passionate in this message. And if you'd like to follow along with the notes to this message, they are posted for you at reallife.org. When you click on the Sermon Archive link, Let's do it. It's time to recapture the passion for real life. And that has an implication. Even the title of a series has an implication. It implies that this passion is something that we had before. Or something that we're supposed to have, that's ours, that we were created for. I think we could probably all look, think back and remember a time when we were filled with passion, right? I mean, youth has all kinds of opportunities for passion. I'm in the midst of one right now. I have a front row seat of a life of passion. My son Ryan is 15, and he just got his driver's permit. (laughs) Ah, yeah, some of you think that's funny. (laughs) The boy behind the wheel. And let me just tell you, he is fired up. And, And there was zero pushing him on this. You need to know. I mean, they, there's a lot of work to do this. There was a, you know, there was a, a course he had to download. There was, there were applications to be filled out. There was fees to be paid, all this stuff. And he was on it. There was no nagging on our part. In fact, it's been a, a neat, refreshing role reversal. I've gotten to drag my feet a little bit. Ryan, how come? Why do I have to do it? Really, do I have to do it today? I'll do it tomorrow. No, no, no. He is mo- want, that is one motivated boy. Passion. It changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, we love people of passion. It just inspires you to see people like that. Being a Chicago Bulls sports fan, as you know I am, I grew up, I love the Spurs too, don't get, don't get me wrong, I love the Spurs, I love, love the Spurs, but I grew up in Chicago and I, you know, many years of drought with the Bulls, it was a painful thing as a child, but then along comes the golden one, Michael Jordan. And if, if he was anything as a player, to the person, whether they played with him or against him, they said, that man never let up. He was up with passion for every single game. And you remember, he was a high-flying, acrobatic type of player when he first came out. And he had to learn to harness that. You know, he was so crazy. That's where Air Jordan came from. He won slam dunk competitions because that's the type of player he was. But to win championships, he had to harness that. He had to make it part of a system with a team. And so they did that, and they won three championships back-to-back, which we know it's hard to win back-to-back championships. Okay? That's a really tough deal to do. They did three. Well, Michael then, and what I find really interesting about his story is after that third championship, his dad died and he and his dad were really close. And that really took the wind out of his sails. And he just admitted it. And Michael walked away from the game. Can you imagine being that organization? 
Michael Jordan is your franchise, and he just leaves. They didn't trade him. They didn't get anything for him. He just says, I'm done. Thanks, y'all. And he goes in what I call his two-year baseball fantasy camp. Okay? He goes and he plays. He, he was. He was a pretty good baseball player. He plays minor league ball. Now, he, he, he filled up stadiums not because he was such a great baseball player, okay? He filled up stadiums because he was Michael Jordan playing baseball. And that's just weird enough to go see, okay? For two years, he does that. And all of a sudden, he comes back and he wants to play basketball. Now, the difference is he's a little older, okay? He's not who he was when he came out of college from North Carolina. He's a different player now. He has to, he, he's lost a couple inches of his vertical leap. He's lost maybe half a step of his speed. He literally has to retool his game with a totally different team, except for Scottie Pippen. He has to, with a different team, and now he has to create and learn a different game, which he did with that same ruthless intensity. He goes and wins three more championships with that team. That's amazing. And everybody you read, who, who knew him and you read about talk, talks about the passion and the intensity every single game. We sometimes, and, and it's fun to watch in sports, you know, to see that in sports. It's very cool and inspiring. But you go, well, that's just sports. And then every once in a while you see someone who in other areas of life brings that kind of passion. I'm reminded of the young girl from Macedonia, Albanian named Agnes. And I'm probably butchering her name. She grew up a Catholic and she had this fascination with missionaries. So much so that when she came of age, she entered the convent. And when she joined her religious order, she took the name Teresa after a hero of hers, Teresa de Lusseau, who's the patron, patron saint of missionaries. You probably know her better as Mother Teresa. <coughs> her first assignment was in the convent school in East Calcutta in India. In 1946, now she'd been there a number of years. In 1946, she had an experience that she calls, she refers to as a call within a call. She was going on something fairly routine. She was going on a retreat at another convent, an annual thing they did. And she'd been there a number of years, always been bothered by the poverty. But on that trip, she saw the people in the slums. She saw the poverty and she had this epiphany really of a call within a call. And she, she referred to it as an order. She said to disobey would be to deny the faith. She couldn't do it. And so she goes back and, and, and again, her superiors didn't get it. They didn't necessarily support her, but she goes and she does it. She moves among the very, very darkest and poorest areas of Calcutta. And she founds in 1950 an organization called the Missionaries of Charity. Well, her work grew. And it expanded. It became so well-known that in 1979, you know, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in recognition of her service. Her ministries and the missionaries of charity continue to expand so that at the time of her death, it was operating 610 missions in 123 countries, including hospices, homes for people with HIV, AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis. She had soup kitchens, children's and family counseling programs, orphanages, and schools. By the time she died, little Agnes, Bohaksui, she was quoted as saying, do not wait for leaders. Do it alone, person to person. Her passion was captivating. In fact, President Bill Clinton said when he met her, he found it interesting. He was very used to people's hands shaking when they met him because he's the president of the United States. He says literally when he met Mother Teresa, he was so nervous that he watched his hands shook 
when he, when he shook her hand because of who she was and what he knew she had done. That is inspiring. And, and this, this little girl, no, no big wealth, no big anything, just a passion. I remember when in my own life, God began to spark a passion. I entered the ministry because I really believed that Bill Hybels has a saying that kind of capsulizes for me some, some of the feeling. It's very simply, the church is the hope of the world. And, and Jesus made the statement, said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, if you read a newspaper, watch cable, hang out anywhere in the real world, you know the gates of hell kind of encroach pretty close. And to think of an organization created and, and initiated by God, an, an organism really, that the gates of hell would not prevail against because Jesus said, I'll build it. That to me was inspiring. And I remember being in a couple different church ministries as an associate, as a youth pastor and as a music pastor. And I remember it not living up to its billing and God getting a hold of me in that time and saying, it's not supposed to be this way. I've told you the story about a Bible study I did for some lost people at an equestrian center where I was playing polo and how it changed my life. How these people, I asked them, why aren't you guys in a church? They were hungry. And they said, the church doesn't work. It doesn't speak to anything. It doesn't. And they told me all these things. And, and God said, these people don't think they can find out about me at my church. What are you going to do about that? And I remember, you know, you do something crazy. I quit my job. And I didn't have another job. And I just started a ministry called Real Life Ministries. It was stationary in the back bedroom. That's, that was it. The office was like our second bedroom. Lori was mad about it, but she got over it. She's okay. And I didn't really know what to do. People thought I was absolutely nuts. One pastor I sat down with and, and talked to, he knew what I had done. He said, Sean, you can't be radical in ministry and survive. And I remember the feeling strong saying, well, then I don't want to survive. Because I, I, I just don't. There's other things I could do. I could go like make money or something. If I'm just going to go work. No, I want to be part of this thing that Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against. And it was passion. And it was one of the hardest times in my life. I remember that. I remember it was, I made stupid mistakes because passion sometimes does. Passion doesn't always count the cost perfectly. Passion sometimes just does and asks questions later. And you know what? That's what it's supposed to do. Passion doesn't worry about doing everything perfect. And I remember that was one of the hardest times of my life, but I also remember that was one of the best times of my life. And I'm going to let you know something about this series, okay? Um, this is something that God's walking me through. I'm kind of preaching a series that's, that God's preaching to me, and I'm inviting you all to listen in because I think it's for more than just me because I know God's not done. It would be real easy at this point in my life to get comfortable. It really would, to just kind of coast. And maybe, maybe some of you are in that place. You know, when, when, I left that, when I left my job as a youth pastor, you know, I was young. It was just Lori and I. There was very little, you know, very little on the line. That salary, who cared? You know, leave that, and, you know. As you grow older, it gets harder. And I really believe this is a principle. That it gets harder to break out of the ruts, the, the molds that kind of develop for you. Because there's more. You, you know, we get kids, we get profession, we have people who work with us, for us, and, and stuff, you more responsibilities, and just like this thing. And, and going and doing something passionate gets harder. But let me just tell you something. For me, and I think for you, you process this with God on your own, okay? But I do believe this. He's not done. God's not done doing crazy things with passionate people that change the world. 
and he's not done with us, River City. And Pastor Sean Azaro is not done yet. As you're listening to Real Life Radio, a service of River City Community Church, which meets every Sunday morning at the corner of Redland Road in jones Maltzberger, just inside Loop 1604. You can find details, directions, and service times at the website reallife.org. And by the way, there's also a campus that meets in New Braunfels. And we'd like to take a moment to mention that today's program is made possible by Cloud Roofing and cloudroofing.com. If you'd like a free estimate on your roof for repair or replacement, their number is 210-366-9484. And please make sure you thank them for underwriting Real Life Radio. Decisions about your child's education are some of the most important decisions that you as a parent will ever have to make. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and I'd like to introduce you to an exceptional new educational opportunity available here in San Antonio. We have recently partnered with Believers Academy to form the new River City Believers Academy, a school with a tradition of academic excellence and a vision to prepare students for real life. RCBA equips students with the academic tools to thrive in an ever-changing world, as well as the character and worldview to make the best use of those tools. Each child is unique, so our faculty is committed to using creative and innovative approaches in the classroom to engage different learning styles. River City Believers Academy is an affordable private Christian school dedicated to preparing your student to become a leader in his or her chosen field. We're accepting applications for the fall semester in all grades, from K-12. through For information, call 656-2999 or look us up on the web at BelieversAcademy.org. Welcome back and we return to Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in this message called The Call to a Life of Passion, which is available as a free download at reallife.org. And this is Real Life Radio. See, nothing great was ever accomplished without passion. Creative force behind all great art, All great architecture, music, drama, anything you want to think of, any great achievement. There was a passion. Science, think of researchers who burn the midnight oils night after night after night trying to find a cure. It's all about passion. Passion makes you get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to make something of today. I'm going to do something that matters today. Without passion, life gets boring, routine, dull, predictable. Passion is what has moved armies into action. Passion is what turns a good athlete into a great athlete or a champion. Passion is like a fire. And folks, in our culture, in our day, in this Christian culture, I think we are in a battle for our lives when it comes to passion. I think we've got to fight for our passion. Now, there's a passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel 6, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there, that I think is a seminar on passion. This faith of ours is all about passion. You remember Jesus? Think about Jesus, okay? A a young, new, up-and-coming Jewish rabbi who's getting quite a stir. He's got a group of followers. (coughs) And he goes into the temple one day, and he sees that the money changers have change the temple into this kind of market where they can buy people can buy animals for sacrifice and different things they need but they're making profit and here the the outer court the gentile court where gentiles are supposed to be able to come and seek the hebrew god is this market and you remember what the bible says he does he goes and he takes some cords and makes a whip and he starts whipping animals and people get out of the house throwing tables over this is our jesus We sing about him, lowly, sweet Jesus. Yeah, nothing lowly and sweet about that day. He's throwing tables over. 
Can you just see him? He's gone. And, and, and the, the religious leaders, the high priests, the, the, the workers in the temple are just like, oh my gosh, who's this lunatic? And he's yelling, my father's house is a house of prayer. And he th- literally, physically throws them out of the temple. This practice has been going on for years and he shuts it down. This is what the disciples were reminded of in John 2, 17. When they saw this, it says his disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. That's what passion does. That's what zeal does. It consumes. And Jesus is quoting someone. Jesus is referred to, because of prophecies, as the son of David. Well, he is quoting David, who prophetically uttered that in the Psalms. David is a man of passion, crazy passion, passionate in his successes and his victories and passionate in his failures. In 2 Samuel 6, we see David maybe at one of the most just audacious displays of passion. Beginning at verse 1, we read, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. I don't know what he's about to do, uh, but 30,000 guys, it's pretty important. Okay? He and all his men set out from Belah of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name. I love that phrase. Called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, the ark of the covenant. That's what David is so passionate about. You see... The Hebrews were this nomadic people who had this, by reputation, this wild, powerful, fiery God of theirs. And he didn't have normal temples like other gods. He had this tent. And in the tent, this, this relic, this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant that somehow was a physical representation, almost an embodiment of his presence. His presence would literally rest. The spiritual, actual reality of his presence would rest on this cabinet-like thing, the Ark of the Covenant. And it had been taken in battle because of disobedience from God's people years before. And it was taken by the Philistines. Now, this is a great read. If you have time, you should read the story of the Philistines with the Ark of the Covenant because it's funny. They put it in the temple of their great god, Dagon. And literally, they come and find Dagon knocked over. And they ultimately come find Dagon with his hands cut off, his head cut off. It's like there's a little mafia in this god of Israel, okay? Their idol is on the ground and they get freaked out. Ultimately, they put, they put the ark on a cart with some oxen. No people are even going to go with it. We're not touching that thing. They get it, by the way. The Philistines figure it out. God is God. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him, but he's for real. And so they just send him out in the wilderness. Go be free. Thank God. Good riddance. And the ark is separated from God's people for years. And David, who is so in love with God, a passionate man, First thing, he becomes king, he kind of gets things settled, and the first thing he does, we're bringing the ark back where it belongs. It's amazing that Saul never thought to do that. I guess maybe that's as much a testimony to his failure as a king as anything else. And so they bring the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between between the cherubim that are on the ark. Now we're told they set God's ark on a new cart, and they brought it from the house of a man named Abinadab. And his sons, Uzzah and Ahio, were the ones guiding this cart. And we're told that David and the whole procession were just worshiping and praising in front of the ark. 
Well, verse 6 says, They came to the threshing floor of Nacon. Uzzah reached out, took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. He doesn't want this amazing symbol of God's presence to fall over, right? Simple. He just steadies the ark of God. Verse 7 says, The Lord's anger burnt against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. What? I mean, he didn't kill anybody. He just steadied the ark. He's trying to help. You have to understand, um, this ark, when it was in its place, the priest was the only person who could ever go there. They tied a rope around his leg in case he displeased God and died because of the fiery, awesome, hot, passionate presence of God. And so it was like you didn't mess with the ark. And somehow they've got the ark on this cart. Uzzah tries to keep it from falling and he is killed. Now we read in verse 8. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And the, to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. Verse 9 says, David was afraid. Now note those two emotions. He was angry and he was afraid. He was angry and afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He wasn't willing to take the ark to, to, with him to be at the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And we're told, by the way, the ark stayed there for three months. And this guy's house was abundantly blessed. And his family and everybody, everything around it was just blessed. It was like good things started happening because of God's presence there at his house. Well, David was told in verse 12, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark. So David went down. His passion got the best of him. He went down, brought the ark from the, from, of God from the house of Obed-Edom, the city of David, with rejoicing. Now listen, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. You you understand the difference there? See, they knew how the ark was supposed to be carried. It was never supposed to be put on a cart. That was disobedience. It was supposed to be carried on poles, and the priests were the only ones that carried it. It was very specific, very careful. They were a nomadic people. They had been nomads for, for years. They knew exactly how to carry the ark. And they had just gotten in a hurry and shortcut. Because of that, Uzzah died. Well, now they're doing it right. And they're carrying it. And David, verse 14, wearing a linen ephah, danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Can you picture that? David literally kind of stripping down to just a pair of shorts and just this, this kind of under robe that he had. Kind of unkingly, quite frankly, between you and I. And he's just worshiping and dancing. I can't think, what equivalent, contemporary equivalent do we have to compare to this? Because when we dance, you know, it's kind of, we got the groove going, mm, 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 but it's not, it's di- That's free, that's for you, that's special. You, you, you appreciate that. You know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, where we're just kind of, we, we don't have anything to compare it to. The only thing, as I thought about it, and you may have other illustrations that are, that are better. I, I thought of a, a, it is, think game seven. Think Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Somebody making the winning basket, winning the NBA championship, and the player jumps in the air, and all the crowd goes crazy, and you have 15, 20,000 people going nuts in celebration because of what just happened. That's what we're talking about. That's the kind of intensity. And David is at the front of this processional just dancing and shouting because God's presence is coming back where it belongs. And so this is happening. And and we're told that the entire house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Everybody's out. Well, almost everybody. Verse 16 says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. 
When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, this was his wife. Saul had given David his daughter as a reward for killing the, Goli- uh, the giant Goliath. And she's watching. She just despises this. Well, they bring the ark. They set it in its place in t- inside the tent of meeting. They sacrifice. David gives everybody bread as a celebration. They all return to their homes. Verse 20 says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and says, listen to this sarcasm, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls and servants as any vulgar fellow would. She's disgusted with him. And listen to David's response. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me as ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And we're told, verse 23, and I don't believe incidentally, and Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David was a man with a burning passion. That passion made his wife really uncomfortable. That passion often made people uncomfortable. By the way, that's just kind of the way it works. Sometimes people are going to get uncomfortable. David was a man who was so passionate for the presence of God. It drove him to do great things for God and for his people. I want to suggest, and here's the premise of this series, that you have, everyone in this room, everyone listening to this message, that you have either, if you don't have a burning passion, you have the capacity for a burning passion within you. You have that kind of capacity. We were created for that. And you've been listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro. As next week, we'll hear part two of this message called The Call to a Life of Passion. If you'd like to visit River City Community Church, you can find the service times, details, and directions to River City at the website reallife.org. And if you'd like to call the church, the number is 490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church and made possible by Cloud Roofing and cloudroofing.com. And hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.